Good afternoon. Welcome to the Afternoon Buzz. Hello, Brian Adams. Hey, Buzz. How are you? I'm fine. Being in the studio with you always makes me happy. So I'm also happy because it's harvest time for a whole lot of the stuff in our garden. We're lucky. We live up in the hill towns, and we're lucky to have a, a large 80-foot-long garden. We have seven gardens, and we've just been harvesting the onions from now in, and we, uh, we have tomatoes galore, and uh, it's just been a real blessing which I think is relevant to our guest that you brought in for today's segment. Buzz, you are right on about that. And one thing I love about the Valley is the local food that our farmers provide to us day in and day out, uh, four seasons of the year. And it's the, those local farmers, the farmer markets, the ability to buy local food, which is just such a wonderful thing about, about the Valley. And we are fortunate today to have with us one of those people that make local farms uh, do their thing, and that is CISA. Uh, CISA is Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. And we have with us longtime CISA employee, Margaret Christie. She is currently the Special Projects Director at CISA. She served as the interim uh, – I'm sorry, as the Executive Director way back when in the late 90s left the agency just for a little and realized her huge mistake and came back and has been back ever since. So, Margaret, thank you so much for uh, being on the program today. Thanks, Brian. That's a great recap, and it's really nice to be here with you and Buzz. Uh, let's talk about the weather, because when we're talking farming, we're talking about the weather. And, oh, my goodness, last July, I'm remembering last summer, it rained, it rained, it rained. Uh, crops were rotting in the ground. Farmers didn't know what to do. This summer, there's no rain. There's no rain. There's no rain. It's a it's it's a drought, and and I guess this is the new normal. You had another burden to put on farmers with the weather. Is that right? Yeah, I think weather, you know, is always top of mind for farmers. But you are right in summarizing the last two years, which have been enormously challenging. Um, farmers like to say about water that you can put it on, but you can't take it off. So in some ways, a drought year is a little bit better than a flood year. But you're right. Last year, it started raining in July, and it really didn't stop through the whole fall. And this year, although we've had a little bit of rain, patchy rain in the last week, um, Pretty much the whole state is in drought conditions, and all but a couple of corners are in what the federal government calls either extreme or severe drought. Yeah, that's really um, challenging for farmers. I mean, you just never know. It's the one biggest factor that is totally out of your control. And again, irrigation, some farmers have, not all. Um, you are recently in the process or hiring a climate change program coordinator. Is that right? Yeah, and that's a great segue because the kind of weather that we've been seeing, even though last year's weather feels like it's really different than this year's weather, both of them are exactly what's predicted for us with our changing climate. We're expected to see more weather volatility and more extremes. So more torrential rainfall, more periods of prolonged drought. So this is really, you know, our climate is changing, has already changed, and farmers are dealing with that every day. So yeah, we have added, we're actually coming up on the first year anniversary of our full-time climate program coordinator position, and it's been great to have a person in our office who's really devoted to talking to farmers about their climate change experience and trying to figure out, you know, what are you seeing? What can we help you with? What kind of changes would you like to make? And can we help you figure that out? And it's still a really a work in progress. People are trying to figure out, like, what would work for them. So we're helping people get training. We're helping people do research. We're helping people get mentorship. And 
you know, it's wonderful to have that position added to our staff roster. Does this mean farmers will have to change what they grow based on on rainfall patterns, but there are no rainfall patterns. I right. mean, the new normal yeah. is there is no normal. Right. No, I think it means, I mean, it, it may mean some changes. I mean, it, the prognosis is not good, for example, for maple trees in our region over the, you know, the next decades. And so I think we will see some changes, but we're also seeing a lot of changes in how people grow things. So increasingly, farmers are putting crops under cover. When you drive around the valley, you see those plastic hoop houses, or sometimes they're called high tunnels. The federal government has helped people purchase those. And that gives you, you know, a more controlled environment. And it's one of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of four seasons, you know, four seasons worth of produce. And those can be operated very inexpensively. You can grow certain things in there year round, you know, without additional light or heat. So it's really a very environmentally responsible way of growing crops you know, in the off season and the shoulder seasons and even in the winter here in the valley. But it's also a way to control, for example, how much water, you know, th those crops get. And I think that's important that I think sometimes people think, oh, local food, well, that's good during the summer, but, you know, what am I going to do in the winter? Well, with growing undercover and with the and prevalence now of greenhouses, there's so much great local greens that are grown during the summer and people store all their root vegetables, farmers, so you can be getting that as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, we really can um, feed ourselves year-round a, you know, a good chunk of what we eat here in the Valley, and that's a real change, I think, in the last couple of decades um, in terms of the amount of food that's available in the winter. I, I think what you say also brings up one of the challenges with these weather extremes, because it's it's easy, you know, for us as as lay people who aren't farmers, you can see that a lot of rain might lead, you know, to to rotten pro like it might cause disease and it certainly does. But it also increases weed pressure. It makes it impossible to get into your fields and so you might not be able to harvest your crops. You might not be able to plant the next succession of crop and those crops might not store as well. And so it might reduce the product that you have available for for sale in the winter. Similarly, in the last month, right when farmers need to get into the field and plant fall crops, you know, you can't plant a crop in dust and expect it to germinate and grow. So if you can't get irrigation into that field, you really are going to, even if you got a crop from your spring plantings, you may not get your fall crop. So the repercussions of these weather events are pretty broad, and farmers have to manage, you know, all these different kinds of challenges. So if I could just circle back, this is Buzz, uh, Margaret. So what is a climate coordinator? The climate coordinator is advising farmers or learning from farmers or finding resources for farmers. I don't get what the role yeah, is. That's a great question. All of those things. So first of all, really, we're learning from farmers because they are the people who are dealing with They're this out there every with day their on the yeah, ground. Right. And they can tell us, you know, here's the problem. Here's what's worked. Here's what hasn't worked. Um, but then they can also say... You know, I hear that there's some people that are doing work around how can you grow vegetables without as much tillage to help build the quality of the soil um, and help the soil be more um, able to, to manage either heavy rains or droughts. But that's a, it's a big change. I mean, farmers are used to managing weeds in crops. So to grow a, a crop of vegetables with a cover crop underneath it 
um, is something you really need to learn and experiment with. And there's been a fair amount of work with that with the kind of um, grain and commodity crops that we grow in the Midwest, but the research isn't as far along with vegetables. And so farmers are really learning from each other, and there is some research being done. So we, for example, could pay for a mentor who might be another farmer to visit your farm, talk about that person's experience, you know, and help you learn. Um, we, so it's, it's, it's a whole range of things. It's, it's helping people apply for grant funding or other kinds of funding from the state or federal government if that's available. It's helping them with smaller amounts of money that we are able to supply, you know, to, have, to hire a mentor, to hire a consultant, um, to go to a training, that kind of thing. Oh, my gosh. You really are local heroes. It's great. Brian, Absolutely. I have a question for you. With yes. Greenhouses, uh, given how do you heat a greenhouse in a way that's sustainable that doesn't do damage to our climate during the winter in New England such that it could produce the kind of vegetables that we need. So there is such things as solar greenhouses, and I'm not sure how many of the farmers have those, right, Margaret? They're more just uh, trying to extend the season, and then do they use fossil fuels to heat? It really depends what you're trying to grow in the greenhouse and when you're trying to grow it. People definitely heat their greenhouses, for example, for seed starting in the spring. So here in, the, you know, in New England, even though our climate is getting warmer, you still need to start things like tomatoes and peppers and eggplants a lot sooner than you can put them in the ground. And they need some heat to get going. But some of the winter crops, like Kale and a lot of mesclun and other kinds of greens, spinaches, can grow in the greenhouse through the winter, even when it's getting cold, without additional heat. And I'm misspeaking a little bit because once there's not a lot of light, they're not doing a lot of growing, but they are surviving just fine, and you can cut that crop and sell it, and you don't need to add any additional heat at all. We have a attached um, a greenhouse. Uh, where, where, where we live, and it's very small, but we get such good greens through about the middle of December, and then there's really nothing, and then it's the end of, the end of February. Let's talk about farmers who are really struggling, uh, whether it's weather or other stuff. And you've set up, I think for the last decade or so, something called the Emergency Farm Fund. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, and that is another, person, another thing that our climate coordinator manages for us is our Emergency Farm Fund. We started that in 2011, um, following Hurricane Irene, which caused enormous damage to farmland here in the valley. And it was really a community effort. A lot of people came together to help us, you know, do the fundraising and put together the wherewithal to do that. And we have given loans, um, no interest loans, ranging between a few thousand dollars up to twenty or $25,000 um, in response largely to weather events beginning with Hurricane Irene. We did open it a, a, up for COVID, so that was another kind of unforeseeable disaster that we felt really merited that. But for the most part, it is a climate change response fund, and it helps you know, build a little bit of resiliency and a buffer for farmers. So we've done it um, when there's been like really heavy snow that, in fact, crushed a number of greenhouses one winter, one year when people lost their peach crop because we had a very, very warm winter, which is another climate change impact. But then I was one of them. Real, right. Yeah. Then there was a real cold, cold snap and the, the peach buds, you know, hadn't hardened off enough to survive that really sudden cold temperature. So it's a variety of things. We, we opened it up because of the rain last year and we will be considering in the next few weeks whether to do it for the drought. Um, and that is how we've done it historically, is a big event that affects a lot of people. We open up the fund, but we have just decided to make it available on a sort of a smaller scale 
all the time because sometimes there's really localized events that don't affect a lot of people. And we'll, we will circle back at the end of the program, but just for listeners who are thinking, oh my goodness, how can I support CISA? There are certainly ways that you can do that and would we'll make sure to end the show uh, with talking about how listeners can, can, uh, can call in, not call in, can call into CISA uh, with, with pledges and, and, and make those donations. We're going to break in just a minute, but I want to talk a little bit about this local hero campaign. We'll begin and then, and then we'll take a break. Um, CISA has this marvelous marketing technique, and you were part of that, uh, Margaret, of coming up with that, with that slogan, which is be a local hero. And all of us, well, speak for myself, I want to be a hero. I want to be a hero. And all <laughs> I got to do is buy local produce, and I'm a local hero. But you see this everywhere in markets and in grocery stores and um, people selling produce. But, you know, we're a local hero farmer. It's a marvelous, um, marvelous opportunity to do good in the valley, do good for farmers, do good for yourself, do good for the climate by buying local. And we'll get back to that. Uh, we're going to take a break. Here, uh, we're talking with Margaret Christie. She is the Special Projects Director at CISA. CISA is the organization that is so important to farmers throughout the Valley community involved in sustaining agriculture. Stick with us, and we will be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. On our next show, some of our very favorite segments, Your State You with Massachusetts Teachers Association President Max Page and educator and author Doug Selwyn on high-stakes testing, plus Hampshire College professor and astronomer Salman Hamid with breaking news from outer space, and Artbeat with Donna Belcasas. All this beginning Friday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Hi, I'm Mike Fenton, candidate for Governor's Council. I've been practicing law in Western Massachusetts for 10 years, and I'm an adjunct law professor at Western New England University, where I also earned my MBA. I've been a member of the Springfield City Council for 12 years, three of those years as council president. I believe that the combination of these experiences uniquely qualify me to be your next governor's counselor. I respectfully ask that you consider my candidacy. Thank you. Paid for by the committee to elect Michael Fenton. Things to do with butternut. Roast it with butter and sage, mash it with butter and maple syrup, stuff it with quinoa, kale, and cranberries, and then there's curried butternut soup. Squash. The season is long, the recipes are endless, and River Valley Co-op is a fall festival of squash. Next time you're there, buy that squash you never buy. Kabocha squash or Blue Hubbard squash. Why? Why not? River Valley Co-op. Everyone is welcome, not just members. And everyone is wild about local squash. Every day, financial ads claiming to be different from the competition. Are they? I'm Francis Rayum, the money doctor, and I'm about to make a bold statement. I believe the thing to focus on isn't their uniqueness, it's yours. No one has the same financial situation or needs as you, and no one can help us help you better than you. But the truth is, when it comes to managing money, most of us are not as successful as we'd like to be. No matter how focused we are, it's almost impossible to separate emotion, and being in a relationship can further compound the issue. That's why I developed Hug Your Money. Financial coaching coupled with online software and tools to empower you to manage money wisely. We guide you every step of the way to resolve immediate issues and plan for your financial future with modeling scenarios. 
So whether it's debt, budget, retirement planning, or a financial crisis, having a Hug Coach in your corner is like having a new best financial friend. Hug Your Money is as unique as you are. In fact, it's patented. Visit HugYourMoney.com. Grow Food Northampton helps you make the local food system better. This is Michael Skillcorn, Director of Programs. You can join us by shopping at Northampton Tuesday Market, getting a plot at our community garden in Florence, buying a farm share at Crimson and Clover or Sawmill Herb Farm. You can volunteer with us in our giving garden or participate in our neighborhood markets that bring the local food movement to underserved communities in Northampton. Get involved and support our work at growfoodnorthampton.com. Y hablamos español. Pregunte por Michael. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Welcome back. We're talking with Margaret Christie. She is a special projects director at CESA, the community involved in sustaining agriculture. And while you were listening to ads and stuff, we were talking about the event that CESA has coming up a week from tonight. Margaret, you want to talk about that? That's right. Next Thursday, the 8th, we are having a really fun event, Local Loves Local, at Four Star Brewery in Northfield. Um, come out and enjoy a local meal and a flight of local beer. See their hop production and their hop processing um, that goes into their beer. It'll be a really fun time to learn a little bit more about what CISA does and eat a really good meal and enjoy the company of other people who care about local farms and local food. So look to our website, which is buylocalfood.org, to find the details. And we'll remind listeners of that at the end of the show as well, because... Uh, CISA has some great events and uh, is always looking for donations to make these events happen and to and to aid farmers. We were talking about the Local Hero campaign uh, as one of the longest-running local he- hero or recent local hero programs in the country and just a great marketing tool for people who, who want to make a difference. Um, and the slogan has been picked up by other ag groups across the country. Is that right? Yeah, I think a lot of people are really seeing the benefits of a strong local economy where your dollars circulate you know, in your community and benefit your neighbors and the businesses that support other local entities and you know, local schools and local kids' activities and all that kind of stuff. So I think a lot of people are thinking about how do we support Main Street businesses and farms and food businesses are a really important part of this and – you know, here in the Valley, have an enormous impact on our quality of life through the food that they grow and other products that they produce and, you know, stewardship of our open space, as well as those local economic benefits of moving our money through our own communities. And it seems to be a no-brainer from both a taste and a nutritional thing. Why would you buy a tomato from uh, South America when you can buy a tomato from your neighbor, a farmer? And and we're looking at climate change and the transportation cost to bring veggies out from around the world to where we are when we can go next door to get the same thing. It's, it's really a, a, a remarkable benefit to on so many levels to be buying local. Let's circle back a little because we sort of let it drop with maple trees and maple trees being one of those potential casualties of climate change. I know maple trees are in their southernmost range now as sort of a northern hardwood trees. Why would we care if maple trees went? 
Well, first of all, because we love maple syrup and we like pancakes and we like to put the two together in the spring maple sugaring season. I mean, it's also really, you know, maple sugaring has a long, long history here, of course, going back to Native Americans and something that people have enjoyed for a long time and is an important part of many farm businesses. Either, you know, it is their main crop or it's something that they do in addition to other things that they produce and that they can do in a different season. But we really are already seeing a lot of changes in when people tap the trees, and it's much less predictable what the winter weather and the early spring weather will look like. And so it's harder to figure out, you know, what's the right timing for um, tapping your trees and, and tapping into this crop. And if anyone needed another reason to work tirelessly about climate change, certainly maple syrup on pancakes is, is, is one of those things. One of the issues with local food is it can be expensive. You can, and, and one of the things that impresses me so much about CISA is your tireless work to help low-income folks access local food. Can you talk about uh, HIP, the Healthy Incentives Program, and uh, SNAP, formerly called, uh, formerly called Food Stamps, and how CISA can get local food into folks who are a little economically strapped? Yeah, I absolutely think, you know, one of our primary goals is to make sure that, you know, just as you said, that people are able to buy a local tomato because it it's a, at a price that's affordable to them and it's convenient to them. And that means getting local food into, you know, all of the places where people buy their buy their food. Um, and I, I, the Healthy Incentives Program, which is a SNAP rebate program, if you're a SNAP or food stamps recipient, you can buy Massachusetts-grown fruits and vegetables from a participating Massachusetts farmer or an approved HIP outlet, and you get an instant rebate, basically. So if you buy $10 worth of vegetables, you get $10 back into your SNAP account up to a level, a limit that starts at about $40 per family and then can go up from there depending on the size of your family and your income. It's a great program. It benefits people who need good food. And it also benefits farmers. And I really want to emphasize the importance of a whole coalition and, you know, very broad partnership of people who, and organizations that helped to make that program happen and that have continued to help to sustain it. So at CISA, we think it's a really important part of our work, but we're, you know, one of a lot of organizations and people that make that program work. And certainly that's a shout out to, again, all the good folks out there who are working tirelessly. And of course, um, everyone that I know points to CISA as one of the one of the organizations or the organization that can really really help to do that. Next week we're going to be having Jim McGovern uh, come in, and Jim McGovern just did a farm tour, local farm tour, and is a tireless advocate for local farmers and a great proponent of the benefits of of, of local farms. We're just about out of time. We've been talking with Margaret Christie. She's a special projects director at. CISA, Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture. Margaret, can you end with how people, once again, how can people get in touch with you for the events that you put on, but those that wish to donate money or want to learn more about local agriculture? Absolutely, Brian. Thanks so much. Yeah, our website is buylocalfood.org, and you can certainly find the donate button there. You can also find our guide to local farms and food. So if you're looking for a particular product, the other way that you can really support us is to support local farms and local food businesses. And we'd love to see you at our event next Thursday in Northfield. Brian, thank you so much for bringing Margaret here. It was really, thank you for all you do. Thank you for Thanks all for your colleagues. Me. It's really great. We're going to be back. Um, in just a few minutes, uh, stay with us.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Amherst will be receiving state support in their efforts to build a new elementary school at the current site at Fort River Elementary on Southeast Street. The Massachusetts School Building Authority Board of Directors gave their endorsement for the three-story design. In July, the town school building committee unanimously voted to use the so-called design-bid-build option, which at this time is estimated to cost $93 million. The building is expected to open in the fall of 2026. Holyoke City officials are considering how to boost business at the city's Kmart Plaza. Mayor Joshua Garcia tells 22 News that he and OPED are communicating with current property owners to propose the reuse of the property. It all comes down to the owners and how a priority for them and how hard they want to push to bring some resolution. Holyoke City Councilors believe the space is a key area for economic development due to its location. The store has been vacant since 2020 when Kmart closed. Greenfield Police Chief Robert Haig Jr. is back on the job. Haig was reinstated as commander of the police department today. On May 6, Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner placed Haig on another member of the Greenfield Police Department on paid administrative leave following a legal matter that developed prior to the split verdict in the Buchanan and Dodge versus City of Greenfield civil suit. The mayor ordered an independent investigation following a conversation between Chief Haig and the other party in the parking lot of Hampshire County Superior Court, which Chief Haig interpreted as an attempt to circumvent court proceedings regarding a possible settlement. The investigation revealed there was no credible evidence that Chief Haig violated city policy. Your 22 News forecast, mostly sunny for the rest of the day with a high of 80, clear tonight, chilly down to 48, and another sunny day tomorrow with a high of 80. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's shop Friday? Kohl's Building Supply? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Kohl's Building Supply in North Amherst provides the quality materials for any home improvement project. Visit the Kitchen Design Showroom, the Benjamin Moore Paint Store, or their Flooring Showroom. You'll find a caring team with the knowledge and expertise to answer all your questions. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. at WHMP.com. The Three County Fair. Let's get cotton candy. The Great Late Summer Fair. The school bus demo derbies are insane. Labor Day weekend in Northampton. So many free concerts. You going? Never miss the fair. The Three County Fair. Free parking this year? The racing pigs are so cute. Summer's not over yet. Are you kidding? Hot air balloon rides? Mom's apple pie won first place. What do you go for? The rides. The games. The food. The Great Late Summer Fair. The Three County Fair. Labor Day weekend in Northampton. Hi, this is Nick Seaman from the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst. We're now open seven days a week from 8 a.m. And we have live music every Saturday and Sunday from 11 to 1. We continue to make our great sandwiches, bake our wonderful croissants, Danish breads and desserts, and brew Dean's Beans organic coffee. We also have a freezer full of entrees to go that will help you simplify your life. And if you're having a party, let us know how we can help you make it a success. Just call our catering department to talk about menu options. On a political note, always remember that the Second Amendment says, quote, well-regulated. Make sure you call your congressman and senator and demand that they do their jobs. We're the Black Sheep in downtown Amherst, having fun with food and politics since 1986. Save 30% at WHMP.com.
This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And thank you for joining us. For those of you who are just joining us, for those of you who are with us, it is time to take five with Bruce <laughs> Nimzik. Bruce, you're always bringing great guests in. Today you have a really special guest. Boy, I'll tell you, Buzz, we've got a special guest. Uh, when I first approached Jim about being on the radio. Jim who? Argero. He mistook me for a mutual friend, Ken Forfia, which is subject for another show. I'll bring in <laughs> Ken sometime and we can just tell. Do you have a doppelganger? Oh, we've <laughs> been mistaken for one another so many times. I think we can fill a full half hour with our adventures with uh, Ken Forfier and myself. But today we have Jim Argero, and um, we could just read Jim's list of accomplishments and the people that he's played with, and uh, we could call it a day. I'd uh, rather hear from Jim. Jim, oh, yes. Well, you know, what we're going to start with is young Jim Argero, 14 years old, living in Springfield, Massachusetts. How did it all start? How, what did you pick up the piano or the, I think the saxophone uh, was your first piece. Well, actually, I started, uh, I was about 12, I started on the accordion. Uh, you know, every Italian kid starts on the accordion. <laughs> Polish so, kids, too. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was a couple of years later, someone gave us a piano, and it was an old upright, and I started fooling around with it. And, uh, and then within the next couple of years, I was doing, uh, my first professional job was at 14. Did you have lessons? Uh, yeah, I had accordion lessons at the beginning, but no piano lessons. I was just messing around on the piano. Actually, I, my first job was an accordion job down in uh, Springfield and Main Street. There used to be a cafe, Victory Cafe, and I was playing in there with some guys. And uh, so I, I got a little bit of the adult world pretty early. You know? <laughs> a little lady in Spain for the cafe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Now, from there, you, 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 you did some time in the service, and uh, you came back, and uh, it says in 67, you were working with the ice, touring with the ice capades. Yeah, that was my first national tour, and I was a pianist, arranger, not the arranger for the whole show, but sort of whatever they needed something, and assistant conductor. Uh, whenever the conductor needed a break, I would go in and do it. And that was uh, actually... And they think of all the things I've done. That was the most challenging show to conduct. There were 300 cues in there th wow. where you had to cue the sound guy to push a button to make tapes come in and all that. Mm -hmm. It was really, really uh, trying, you know. Oh. Yeah. Now, now, there had to be some education somewhere. I think there's a, a, for some schooling, maybe uh, the University of Hartford? Well, the, the, uh, yeah, the Hartford Conservatory. Uh, I was down there with... Uh, a, a great teacher and pianist who is past Ray Casarino, Raymond Casarino, and uh, he actually set in place my, my, uh, you might say my complete relationship to my life in music, and he's the one that started me on that, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. I'm mostly self-taught in music. Um, you know, I don't know what else it says. Well, <laughs> no, it says you've had some pretty good gigs as a music director and arranger for the likes of Bernadette Peters and Leslie Uggams. And I know you did the uh, Sonny and Cher show. And, yeah, uh, Sonny and Cher, Tony Orlando. Uh, and go oh, on. There, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of shows, yeah. When I was in Hollywood, I, I worked with, uh, I mean, so many of huh. the stars. It's just a long list, you know. 
Jim, yeah. I have to ask, this is Buzz, and I, I have to ask because I've worked so hard at trying to learn how to read music and understand music. When I hear about somebody who's like picked up being an arranger and a composer on their own for various, you know, the, over here is for the brass and over here is for the, the woods, and I have no clue how you learned to do that. Well, um, you know, I, this this will explain it in a strange way you probably won't expect. Uh, in the 70s, when I lived in uh, Hollywood, I got a letter in the mail one day, and it was written in beautiful calligraphy. And <clears throat> I opened it up, and it said, Dear Argyro, it was from a Syracuse professor, uh, sorry, professor at Syracuse University named Larry Argyro. And what he did is he went around the world researching our name and come to find out most of the Argyros were musicians. <laughs> really? You have musical genes. <laughs> yeah. I just have blue jeans, but you know, that's... <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I couldn't believe it. He, he gave the whole history. It was all written out beautifully, and he sent it to every Argyro he could find. Is there, is there an interpretation? What, what does Argyro mean in English? Well, uh, the, it, our, the name is Greek in origin, really. And in ancient Greece, there was Argyro Castro, which was the town of silver. Argyro was silver in Greek. Mm -hmm. And those... Argyros moved to southern Italy, where my father is from. So then, of course, he's Italian, but there's Greek ruins in southern Italy. And so that's where, where the name came from. Was your father musical? Somewhat, yeah. He, he played harmonica and, and guitar a little bit, but he was never schooled. He was just fiddling around with it, you know. Yeah. So I'm looking at a, the list of names from Lionel Hampton. Uh, Red Rodney, some of the jazz musicians you've played with, Harry James and the Dorseys. Uh, is there anybody that just sticks out where, where you, the first time you were in a room with a, a musician, you said, what am I doing here? I mean, how am I, how am I playing with so-and-so? So yeah, yeah, I've had that quite a few times. Um, being from the East Coast and having spent a little time in New York and then being on the West Coast, there's a difference. In New York, if you were in a musical situation, there's kind of a rivalry and kind of a edge to it that feels uncomfortable. And when I got out there, it was completely different. There would be a famous musician say, can you play? Come on, sit in, you know? It was that kind of thing. So it was a lot easier to get to know people. But if you didn't deliver, then that was the last time. <laughs> uh, obviously, you delivered several times. Um. Yeah. So you so you uh, you know you're playing all these different gigs and how do you get a job working as the music director for the Sonny and Cher television show? I mean they were young well and well what happens uh, you know when I was in Hollywood I was part of the uh, in group so to speak is your name gets passed around and uh, somewhat like the Wrecking Crew that yeah, Pal yeah, Blaine yeah. Or another local guy was in yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you I'd get calls from people uh, you know uh, and I and every time I did I was thrilled and honored to be with these people but I was still a surprise yeah. you know like Anthony Newley called me and you know I need would you help me with this and help me with that he was, uh, uh, the, I, the, by the way, that was one of the best relationships I had. Anthony Newley and I had some kind of an unstated rapport, you know? 
And he was working on his show, his last show he was going to do, which never made it, by the way, because mm. he passed. It was based on Richard Shakespeare's Richard III. Mm. And he had all the melodies and everything, but he needed me to find chords that fit and everything. So we worked on that. And it never made it to full production. But, uh, yeah, he, he stands out in my mind as one of my favorite people. Great attitude, nice, nice, funny guy to be with and all that, you know. Okay, yeah. let's go the opposite. Who did you work with that you said, geez, I really, really don't like this? <laughs> well, I, someone does come to mind. Wonderful star, big star, Carol Lawrence. Really? Uh, yeah, Carol Lawrence. <clears throat> when, well, first of all, I should explain something that a lot of people are not aware of. The big stars also have fear, okay? We see them, and we say, well, then nothing bothers them. But before they go on, there's that thing about, is this going to work and everything? Okay, now, the difference between, <clears throat> pardon me, difference between a star and an amateur is the star knows what's to, what to do to get on track, something internal, whatever, okay? So Carol, off the stage, was great. But on the stage, she was really... What, what I, I better not say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and this is, doesn't mean that I have anything about, against her or anything. I love her as a person, but you asked me the question, and mm -hmm. she's the one sure, that comes to mind. To <laughs> so did, did you have to carry her when, when, when she was on the stage? Did you have an experience where it fell on you to, like, pick up the pieces? Uh, no, the, fortunately, that didn't happen. But um, she, see, the other thing is, and this is really interesting, um, those performers, especially in music, who come up through training at schools and all this coaching and everything, the Broadway types, let's put it that way, the Broadway types, and the others, the opposite of them, the, those that come up through joints, playing joints and never getting any of that, there's a difference in the way they relate to you. The, the Broadway types are the ones that they stick to a certain thing. They're not loose. In other words, if things don't go this way, they don't know how to deal with it. They're like totally rehearsed. Right, right. So, so that's the problem, see? Whereas somebody who comes up through the joints, so to speak, they just go with the flow. They can make it work somehow. Well, that, that sounds like a difference between your jazz musician and, you know, a guy that's playing... Uh, improv, you, right? You, you got some yeah. improvisation and you kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if, you miss, if, you hit a, if you hit a blue note, then it's a blue note. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, go we, we, have, we only have a minute before we're going to take a break, but, I, I mean, I always ask this question because I always envy musicians, which is, Bruce and I love music, but we're not musicians, what language do you speak with other musicians that you don't speak with us? Well, gee, I, I don't know. Uh, the numbers or chords or... Yeah, well, for example, we don't say chords, we say changes. <laughs> but you can, you can make changes with a look to each other. That, yeah, yeah. That really right. mystifies me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. One of the things we, we do or we should be doing and it's unstated, even within ourselves, it's, it isn't, is that if I was to perform, let's say, with a trio backing a soloist, saxophone, trumpet, whatever, okay, my job, and I do this naturally, I don't tell myself to do it, is to get a quickly 
his approach to what he's doing. Is he a busy player? Is he less than that? How does he play in within the courts? Is he out of the courts? Is he, you know where where is he? What is his feel for what he's doing? And then my job is to change the way I support him. Truly incredible. We're here. It's take five with Bruce Nimzik. We've got Jim Argiro in the studio, uh, a keyboardist, an arranger, composer. Uh, incredibly talented man. Working on a novel. <laughs> <laughs> really. Uh, thank you, Jim. Now you made me feel really bad about myself. We're going to take a few minutes for me to lick my wounds. We'll be back with Jim right after this. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. You're the only boy. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Voting as well as early voting is the way to go. It shows that we trust the voters. They know why they need an early ballot. They know why they need an absentee ballot. It's not up to government to decide if it's a legitimate reason or not. The voters should get to choose. So this, I think, is a huge advance. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Hello, I'm Hampshire County Sheriff Patrick Haling, and I'm a Democratic candidate for sheriff focused on progressive community-based programming. I'm running for re-election this year. I've been your sheriff for six years, and I love the work I do because I help people to be productive members of the community. Please remember to vote for me on September 6th. Learn more by visiting our Facebook page or website, klaneforsheriff.com. Thank you. Paid for by the committee to elect Patrick J. Kahalane. At the Northampton Survival Center, we believe that no one should choose between paying bills or buying food. En el Northampton Survival Center, creemos que nadie debería elegir entre pagar sus cuentas o comprar alimentos. We supply free groceries for people in 18 Hampshire County communities in a safe outdoor distribution. Proveemos comestibles gratis a personas en 18 comunidades del condado de Hampshire en una distribución segura y al aire libre. For information about grocery pickup or delivery, call 413 586-6564 or visit NorthamptonSurvival.org Para información sobre recogida o entrega de comestibles llame al 413-586-6564 o visítenos en NorthamptonSurvival.org If the challenges of the past year have left you needing help we are here for you Si las dificultades del año pasado lo han llevado a necesitar ayuda estamos aquí para usted This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with Take 5 and uh, Jim Argiro and Bruce Nimzik. And I just have to ask Jim, we love to listen to music. Most people do. They love, they have their own music they love to listen to. When you listen to music, do you hear it as a music fan like we are? Or do you hear it as a musician and analyze it as a musician? Well, first, <clears throat> pardon me. First, um, I don't make any conscious choice about it, but I'm usually imagining um, the harmonic uh, uh, passages and so on. 
And, but a lot of times I let go of that. So, so that's more deliberate where I let go of it and just enjoy it as a listener. But my first inclination is to listen to it as a musician. You have to turn yeah, that switch yeah, yeah, off. Right, right. Yeah, I'm a lawyer and my wife hates watching <laughs> movies about lawyers because I'm like objecting. That's, that's wrong. And then I have yeah. to stop and just let it go. Now, yeah. now, one of the things I have always seen with musicians like yourself is it seems you know every melody. Is that um, because there's clues or cues that you pick up on and you can, yeah, I remember, I remember tenderly, but, you know, I can, I can figure it out as I go or. I'm not sure what you're asking me. Say, say. Well, you know, like I've seen you sit down with musicians, you know, at, at at the Northampton uh, workshop and sit down with somebody who's a total amateur singing one of the standards and you can make them sound good. How the heck do you know all these melodies, or is it just uh, oh, okay, something I you see. can work with? You, yeah, you're you're mentioning you're saying melodies, but how do I know all the chords? Is what you mean, isn't it? I because I'm not playing know, the melody. I don't melody. know that. Be, in other words, someone's well, yeah, singing them. You play the melody now and again. I mean, oh well, sure. well, if I take a solo, I may okay. do that, or I may play something else. But I think what you're asking is, someone's singing the melody. How is it that I sit down with them and can play the chords, and because I know the song. So okay. I know the melody, and I also know the chords, but I'm not the one playing the melody. The person is singing the melody, okay. and, I, and I'm supplying the chords. Well, that's what I've been getting wrong all these years. <laughs> well, it, it is true that there, there are some basic, you know, like one, four, five right. kind yeah, of blues, blues. Yeah, thing, or, or uh, the I've got rhythm. Changes. Yeah, that's sure. right. Okay. right. And, and they're applicable to a whole bunch of songs. So somebody with your skills, Jim, you could sit down and recognize that and just know it you've done it a thousand times right but right right well i have a pretty good memory in fact people have told me more than most of songs i've been in situations where someone would mention the most obscure song you you could ever mention and i knew it you know that one you know so so that's one of the things um i i've been doing it so long and uh there's hardly any standard song that i wouldn't know once in a while it happens, but usually not. Okay, so when you're home this evening, do you ever listen to music, and who do you listen to? Anybody other than? Well, it changes uh, with the seasons or with the weeks. Uh, I, I've been lately been listening to more uh, solo pianists, and some of the old ones, like Hank Jones, who's one of my yeah. favorites, and because I've been actually recording myself in a solo, hopefully we'll end up in a solo CD, I have uh, the piano hooked up to the computer, and I have a beautiful uh, sample on the computer, a piano sample. So I've been doing that lately. And what usually happens is I'll just listen to Hank Jones or Bill Evans or someone like that, and it gets into my head, then I'll shut it off, and then I'm, I'm, I so take af- off. You know? After you've listened to one of those... Uh, players do they influence the way you play uh, oh yeah they they do in other words i'm not playing like them but listening to their great playing gets inside me and then i it comes out you know i play better i once saw hank jones at, at uh newport and he walked on the stage has to be the most elegant person i've ever seen he just was dripping elegance it was a it was a and then he, and then he sat and played incredibly also elegantly but, uh, oh yeah, yeah exactly yeah. Uh, uh, so when you're playing locally, and, and I've seen, you actually have played a couple times in my backyard when uh, you've come to uh, parties at the house, 
it's just it's phenomenal to see it happen. It's, it's magic for for Buzz and I to to see. How do you do this? Come on, <clears throat> more, more. Tell us well, more. Well, I'm I'm still wondering how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there is there is something here. It's a thing called finger memory. Is is part of it. Um, one one of the things I well I'm not teaching now, but when I used to teach piano students, mm-hmm. um, one of my techniques is I have them play something, and then while they're playing, I would ask them questions. The questions would be things they know the answer to, like what is your address, what is your name, what is your parents' name, simple things like that. Because playing music, especially jazz, you're really two people. And, it, and it's not a conscious awareness of that. But you're in the music, and yet you're in a creative mode, too. In other words, you have to adhere to certain um, standards, like the right chords and mm-hmm. everything, but you're also somewhere else. And for me, and the musicians that are listening will probably relate to this, is when you're in the right spot, you disappear. You disappear. You have no awareness of yourself or where you are. You're out in somewhere else. And the fingers just do the rest. <laughs> do the rest, huh? Yeah. yeah. It takes a tremendous amount of self-confidence in front of other people, sure. in front of an audience, Almost to let naked. yourself go yeah. like that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And when, you, when you're aware of yourself performing, that's bad. That's bad because you want to lose yourself. And actors know this because I've been in three films as an actor, by the way. And, and uh, I remember in my first film, I was aware of myself sometimes. And sure enough, I didn't do it as well as I thought. And then there's a scene where I lost myself, and that one came out right. So you, you can't have this self-conscious thing about your, yourself. And so my whole life is done that way. If, if I'm Carnegie Hall, which I'm not going to be, but, and I make a mistake, I would stop and say, oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> so how does somebody who relies on your ability to just be in the moment without controlling yourself, without even thinking about it, uh, how did it feel to to be working with people like Sonny and Cher where everything was rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed? Right. In the TV, things change quite a bit, quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot of flaring tempers and there's everything else because now you're working under a timeline. You start on Monday, and Saturday is the recording, the tape, the, tape, the t- pre-recording, the whole thing. And I've been in situations that were really quite difficult at times. Uh, and, and in fact, um, <clears throat> I remember one. Shall I relate one? Please. Sure. We, we have two minutes. Yeah. Okay, the Sonny and Cher show, um, our special guest one week was uh, Jackie Gleason. <laughs> okay, now he was a big star for me. He said, Jackie. Oh, Gleason. Jackie oh, Gleason, great. wow. Okay. <laughs> so, he, so I remember the first day, Monday, he walks in, he's dressed in his suit, and he has a, a man, a secretary, I guess, who's also in a suit following him. So he comes in, he goes by the piano, he just looks at me, looks, looks around. He has that look on his face, like if you watch the honeymooners where he's in an, in an argument with his To wife. the moon, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> he has that. So what he was doing was he was figuring out the scene. Did he want to do this or whatever, okay? So that we went through that day. He didn't say much. Next day, he comes in. He goes by the piano. He says, I taught him everything. There's the key. Get the key. He, that was one of the songs he was going to yeah. sing, okay? And he goes through, and he's telling everybody to do it. Now, throughout this whole thing, Tony Orlando was really nervous. 
because he was there, because Jackie Gleason. So he got really tr touchy and he got aggressive. Oh. So we end up in the studio at the end of, of the day and he starts saying nasty things to me, which had nothing to do with me. It's because, sure. you know, okay? He's sweating. Uh, right. <laughs> so I went, okay? So yeah. I, went, I went down, I, I had had it with him. I went down to the office and quit the show. Wow. That was it. And you know who took my place? Famous jazz pianist, Russ Freeman. Really? really? <laughs> well, yeah. well, we were friends. Russell. If you have to be replaced, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get as Jackie Gleason would say, you said, away we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really, Bruce, thank you uh, so much for bringing Jim here. Oh, I think we could do this for like three or four hours if, yeah. <laughs> if we really let this guy go. Yeah. No, it's true. Oh, you man. are the constant Do you have professor. anything coming up uh, planned, a, a gig anywhere that uh, you were? Uh, yeah, somewhere? the 350 Grill in Springfield. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to be there, I think, on the 11th with Linda Ransom, great singer. Oh, yes, mm. she is. Yes. Yeah, I'll be in yeah. there with my trio and her. And, oh, super. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. And that's, I guess that's it today. Uh, oh, okay. I'm glad you came, Jim. Uh, we could do this again. Jim Argiro. Jim Argiro. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny, folks, is he brought notes because he didn't think he'd remember stuff, and I think he didn't forget a dang thing. So <laughs> he had pages of notes. <laughs> This is such a pleasure. It was Take 5 with Bruce Nimzik. Thank you so much. Everybody, have a really great evening. Join us tomorrow at 4 o'clock on the Afternoon Buzz. Uh, we have a Labor Day uh, weekend. Don't forget, tomorrow is the last day to get your early voting in and plan on voting on September 6th. And absentee ballots due September 6th. It's really important that we vote. Have a great weekend, everybody. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Booster, WHMP. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat Live for Humanity and builds strength and talk stability. For Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's